Okay, well, I'm going to read the Bible. If you uh, if you have a Bible with you, you might want to look it up, maybe on your phone, or if you've got a Bible in reach. Uh, it's Luke chapter 10 from verse 1 to verse 24. So that's Luke chapter 10 from verse 1 to verse 24. If you don't have a way to read along with me, then maybe you can just listen. This is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you, enter a ha- when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day, on the day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to your list, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. Um, I hope you're doing well. First of all, just want to say, uh, for those of you who have just recently joined us, uh, things are a little bit different 
Um, obviously, uh, our world is a little bit different at the moment, and uh, we join you in your uh, your frustration, uh, realizing that you know, a lot of uncertainty and, and stress and turmoil plans have been disrupted. Um, even uh, as we look forward this week, we many of us don't really know what to expect. We came here expecting that all of our uh, cool equipment that we've purchased uh, over uh, COVID lockdown was going to be set up and working like it has been the last few weeks, only to discover that it didn't want to cooperate with us. So uh, we have now moved to a, a different setup. So thank you for joining us. And if you're doing this now, you can always uh, rewind and uh, watch um, from the beginning if you want to. But yeah, we thank you for, for joining with us today. Um, also, just want to make you aware that um, we are continuing to, to reach out and to pray uh, for you, our church community. And if you are feeling stressed, worried, frustrated, isolated, uh, you just want someone to talk to you, you have any care needs, um, please let us know. You can contact us uh, through the church uh, office. You can contact us on our mobiles through the church website. Um, we want to make sure that you are being connected with and cared for. And so, uh, yeah. If you need to reach out, please do so. There are people uh, that would love uh, to be able to care for you and connect with you. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to jump into um, our this text from Luke chapter 10. So let me do that right now. Father God, we thank you that you speak, uh, and we thank you that you are uh, God, even when the world around us uh, does not seem to be working the way that we thought uh, it should be working. Uh, we thank you that you are in control even when things seem out of control. We thank you that you're a God who speaks uh, even when, uh, yeah, there is, we often feel just endless noise around us. And we pray, Lord, that you would work, that you would speak, that uh, we would listen, that we would set our hearts on you and cast our cares on you as we meet with you here in your word today. So, Lord, we pray as we jump into this text that you would, um, yeah, that you would speak and our hearts would listen and be transformed by what it is that you have to say to us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, if you have your Bible still open to Luke chapter 10, that will be helpful. Um, when I was in seminary, I had a class called Introduction to, to Hermeneutics. Uh, hermeneutics is a big, silly word, which basically means uh, interpreting the Bible. That's what hermeneutics means. How do you interpret the Bible? And the, this class was all about looking at different parts of the Bible and asking the question of how do we properly read and understand and apply what we've read. In this particular class, uh, one day I showed up and we were examining the Gospels in the book of Acts. And I remember the professor asking us uh, this question. He said, as we read these books, how are we to understand them? Are they A, descriptive, or B, prescriptive? That is, um, are they books that are simply reporting uh, an event that happened, descriptive? Or are they telling us how we ought to live, that they're stuff to apply today, prescriptive? And there's, that's a really hard question to answer when you read through the Bible, right? Because, for example, you, you might open up through the book of Leviticus and start reading Leviticus and you glance at a section that says, if you are, uh, we're not to wear clothing made up of more than one type of fabric, or if we eat pork, uh, well, we're unclean. 
And the question is, is that descriptive in telling us how God worked then and how history uh, was playing out then, but it doesn't really, it's not really relevant today? Or is it prescriptive in telling us that all of us who are wearing different types of clothing or are eating bacon right now, well, we need to get right with Jesus immediately. Is that what it's telling us? It's a really hard question to answer, isn't it? Well, today we're going to look at an event that happened at a certain uh, period of time in biblical history. And as we look at this uh, passage, we'll discover that uh, this event gets described in detail. But the big question hanging over us is, is that all? Is this just a description of an event or is it something more? So if you have Luke chapter 10 open, we're going to look at 10 different things that I uh, sort of observe, 10 things that are happening in Luke chapter 10. And we're just going to look at this piece by piece together. So observation number one from Luke chapter 10 is Jesus sends out his disciples. Um, those that follow Jesus don't merely follow him around, but they are given tasks by him for them to carry out. Uh, we don't know who these 72 people are, uh, besides the 12 that we kind of know, but we've been told that Jesus has had a following for quite some time. And here the text tells us that Jesus appoints them or sends them out. Uh, the word for appoint in Greek is the word anadeknumi, which is a fun word. You should name your kid that, which literally means the action of lifting up a torch high up in the air so that uh, that light will illumine everything around it. Uh, it. This idea actually draws us all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where God creates humans in his own image. Uh, but not merely as just his creations, but he creates them to be partners with him in caring for the world. That humans are to be God's light bringers and image bearers to every corner of the globe that they find themselves in. Not merely stationary. That's point number one. Point. Observation number two, the disciples are sent out together and not alone. The disciples are sent out together and not alone. Uh, they are to go in groups, not just as a safety measure, measure, but because in the Hebrew culture, when more than one person acts as witness, their story becomes even more believable. Jesus recognizes that there is something powerful about his disciples working together as a community with a common goal to reach the lost around them that they cannot necessarily accomplish on their own. Point number three. The disciples are to go ahead of Jesus. Uh, this is a very strange and seemingly unimportant detail in the narrative, but there's a reason why it's in here. Jesus doesn't merely send them out uh, to go there on their own and says that I'm not going to have any involvement with you and where you're going myself. No, Jesus lets his disciples know that he, in fact, is with them and will follow their initiative. If they start, he'll come along and be there with them. Observation number four, Jesus sends them to every town and every place where he was about to go. Again, this seems like uh, it's not that important of a detail. The word there, every, is important. Luke could have easily said that Jesus, uh, 
Luke could have easily reported, sorry, that Jesus was going to some certain towns or some certain cities. We actually know this to be true because I really doubt in the narratives that the disciples walked themselves all the way to Tokyo or Sao Paulo or, or any of those places, for example. But the emphasis is this, that the disciples start walking outward and wherever they find themselves, in every space that they are in, they are to be Jesus's witnesses there. In other words, every space is a space that Jesus wants to occupy, which leads us to point number five. Uh, maybe the most famous quote of this section. Uh, Jesus reminds the disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. They are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Now, Jesus points out the reality that even with these 72 people going out, it's still not enough. Uh, he looks over the landscape and sees a field of people who are ready to be plucked for Jesus. It's not a dry and barren landscape, but one of infinite possibilities. And Jesus does tell them to pray, but he does tell them to pray in the context of them actually going out in themselves. They are to go and pray, not just one or the other. Point number six, uh, Jesus reminds them that they will encounter hostility. It's not a possibility for them, it's a fact. As you go out uh, as Jesus's representatives, it's not going to be easy. He never promises him, he never promises his disciples that obeying him is going to be a breeze. Point number seven, uh, Jesus emphasizes that this work that they're doing is really only a work that God can do. So the disciples must fully depend on him. If these disciples provide for themselves and they rely on their own persuasive words or flashy presentations or the money in their wallet to get them by, well, it would not be a work of God's spirit, but of human ingenuity. And though humans are certainly capable of great things, ultimately, as we've already seen in Jesus's ministry thus far, faith that is built on human achievements or wisdom won't hold up in the end. So the disciples, as they go out, must realize that they have nothing to bring to the table except God himself, and that is really all they could ever need. Observation number eight. The disciples are given relatively simple things to do. Uh, they are to declare peace, uh, care for those who are sick, proclaim the coming of God's kingdom, and eat. Isn't that a fun thing? To eat with people. Declare peace means that they are to bring wholeness and shalom, not start some theological war. They are to take care of the basic needs of people when they encounter them. They are to tell people about the king who is coming, and they are to share life together through a meal. It's a pretty cool picture of outreach, if you tell me, and relatively simple things to do. It's not complicated. Point number nine, Jesus reminds them that not everyone will respond positively, but that's not ultimately for them to worry about. See, it's God's issue to deal with people's hearts, not the followers of Jesus. They're just supposed to go and God will do the rest. And finally, point number 10, they are to rejoice in the fact that they belong to God. 
to not get too wrapped up in, in who does or doesn't respond or what incredible things do or do not happen, but to understand that they are participating with God in his work and that despite what they experience or how good they are at what they think they are doing, those things are not as important as understanding that they belong to God's family. This is what Paul calls grace. Grace is a gift that is all about not how good we are or how holy we look or how well we do and the things that we've been tasked to do, but simply about God's love for us in spite of all of those things. So these are the 10 observations I made as I read through Luke chapter 10. But then this begs the question, so now what? Is this, like my seminary professor asked, simply a description of a one-off event that happened some 2,000 years ago of Jesus sending out these people and it's just recorded for us as history to read and say, oh, that's really nice. Or is there something more? And how could we know if there's something more? Well, the best way to answer that question, I think, is to ask whether these things that we've just read really hold up today still. If they are still true and relevant and meaningful today, or if they were only a product then or a cultural expression for that time in that certain place in history for a certain group of people, do we see these ideas also get expressed in other parts of scripture as well? So let's ask that question over our list of the 10 things that we learned from Luke chapter 10. So first question, going back to the first point, does Jesus still send out his disciples today? Well, are they still meant to be like torches that are being lifted up to the world, the dark world around them to bring light? Are those who call ourselves followers of Jesus still invited into the work that God is doing in this world? Well, the answer, I think, is yes, which leads to point number two. Is it still pow as powerful for Christians as a community to reach those around them? Do multiple people speaking into the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus make the message more believable? If you participated in the last study that we did this term, you'll know that the answer is yes. Um, when Christians go out as a community, and they reach those around them intentionally together, there's something striking and powerful that we can't necessarily accomplish on our own. So does that still relevant today? Yes. Point number three, does Jesus still, does Jesus send people out and not go with them? Does he order us around without any intention of helping us? Or did Jesus only help the disciples back then? Well, I think the easy answer to that is no. Jesus still goes with those he sends today, right? We can tell countless stories of those who have gone out and they know Jesus is present with them. They see his spirit at work. So we know that that is also still true. It still holds up. Point number four, are Christians still meant to be witnesses of Jesus in every city and space they find themselves in? Yes, that's, that's the answer. If you, if you think no, well, maybe you and I can chat about that sometime. But yes, every space, every place that we gather, we are still called to be Jesus's witnesses. Point number five, is the harvest still plentiful and the workers still few? 
Are there still many people who have yet to respond to the good news of Jesus and not enough people who are going out and sharing this good news? Yes. Six, will those who seek to share the good news of Jesus still face hostility and rejection? That's pretty obvious. Yes. Seven, are we still supposed to put our trust in God when we go out into this world? Or are we now dependent on our own devices? Is it the power of God or the ingenuity of human hearts that transforms people's hearts? Is it by having a flashy church service or a, an, a, an amazing message? Is it, is it just us? Well, clearly from what our experience is this morning, no, uh, that's not how it works. That in fact, we are meant to still depend on God uh, to transform people. Eight, is it still our role to declare peace to care for those who are in need, to proclaim the kingdom, and to share life uh, together with those yet to believe. Yes. Nine, does God still remind us that it's his job to work in people's lives and that we should not worry about what does or does not happen, but trust him? Yes. And then finally, 10, are we still meant to rejoice in the fact that God's love for us is not based on our achievements or personal victories, but in his grace. Yes. Well, then, I think it's pretty clear based on the answers to those questions that this section of scripture is not just descriptive. That is, it wasn't just telling us about an event that happened then, but has no relevance for us today, but it's actually prescriptive. It's telling us how we ought to respond to Jesus now. And if that's the case, then this then leads us to ask ourselves 10 further questions as we think about what it means to apply this passage to our lives today. So again, let's go back through those 10 things. Number one, how can you be sent out and lifted up as a light bringer to those around you? What does it look like for you to understand that Jesus wants to use you of all people to proclaim the good news? Not somebody else, you. Two, who can you invite to come along with you to reach those around you for Jesus? See, we often think that if we want to reach our friends or our coworkers or whoever, that it's, well, it's my job alone. But Jesus sends out his disciples with partners who will work with them, who will pray with them, who will speak with them to reach others. So who can you ask to help you to reach your friends and family and coworkers and those around you. Three, how can you be reminded that Jesus goes with you to reach those around you? That Jesus doesn't just leave it all up to us, but is with us as we go. How can you spend some time reflecting and praying and asking and imploring Jesus to show himself, to help you, to be with you as you go and be his witness? Four, what would it look like to be a witness in every city and space you find yourself in? What would it look like to talk about Jesus in your home, in your workplace, on the sports field, in your street? What does that look like? How can you start doing that today? Point number five, do you know and believe that the harvest is actually plentiful? That there are many, many people out there who are ready to hear and believe the gospel like fruit that is ripe. 
Or have you come to believe that the harvest isn't actually plentiful at all, that it's a dry and barren landscape and therefore it's pointless? Is that what you have believed? If so, we need to ask God to help us align our vision of what we see out there, the harvest field, with his, that it in fact is ripe for the picking. And we ought to be praying not just for God to raise up other people, but to send us out into the harvest field. Point number six, is our fear of rejection prompting us to shy away from reaching those around us? Or do we believe that though rejection will come, the fact that souls will be saved is actually worth it? Do we, what do you need to do to get over your fear of rejection as you share the gospel? Seven, are you depending on God as you seek to witness to those around you? Or have you come to believe that it's your persuasive words or your moral life that will make people ask about Jesus? See, depending on God means that we understand that he's the one at work and not us. We just have to show up and trust that he's going to do his part. Eight, have you overcomplicated the gospel? Have, how can you simplify it by doing those simple things that Jesus tasked his disciples to do? To declare peace, to care for those who are in need, to proclaim the kingdom and share life with those who need to hear it. Nine, how can you stop worrying and trust God to be at work? And finally, how can we turn off the noise and quiet those feelings that stir up in us about how our performance or work matter to God most instead of the fact that God loves us because we are his? Are you trying to hope God pays more attention to you uh, the harder you work or the holier you are, but you have actually missed the point of his grace, which is not based on any condition or anything that we bring to the table, but in his character alone. You see, Jesus still sends us to be light bringers, to be peace declarers, kingdom proclaimers. And Jesus reminds people then, and he reminds us still that the harvest is plentiful. We're not alone. God is still at work. Do you believe it? If so, how can we go to every place and space to proclaim the good news? Let me pray. Father God, um, we thank you for this story that is not just a description of events that happened um, a long time ago, but uh, it's prescriptive in that you still do the same sort of things with us today, that you want to send us out into the world, that you want us depends on you to do the work. God, that the you want to remind us that the harvest is still plentiful. Lord, that we are to do simple tasks, to not be afraid, even though we will face rejection, uh, but to know that it is worth it. And uh, that we are to rejoice not in anything that we can accomplish or what does or doesn't happen, but simply that we belong to you. Lord, these truths are still as relevant uh, today as they were uh, to those that you sent out back then. We pray that we would respond uh, by doing exactly what um, those disciples did, that every city and space that we find ourselves, we would declare uh, the good news about Jesus, that we would show up 
that we would trust in you to do the work uh, and know, God, that, um, yeah, it's all worth it. Lord, it is our prayer that those around us, our friends, families, coworkers, people that we uh, hang out with, acquaintances on the sports field or wherever it is, um, that they would come to call on the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we pray that uh, you would be at work and that you would uh, give us the bravery to step out in faith and do what you've commanded all of your disciples to do. So Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. We thank you for this challenge and pray that you'd help us even today to be your witnesses. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.